This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yeah, I, I think that's always a, a challenge, you know, whether you're starting a new regular season or starting the playoffs, because uh, it is a different game, right? The emotions emotions are high, and it's not just the players struggle to, to sort through that. It's, it's hard on the officials too. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to sort through there. There's a lot of gamesmanship that's going on throughout the game on both sides. So it's just a matter a matter of managing that things. You know, seem to have a way of leveling off the deeper the series goes. So, you know, we just got to continue to play hard and be smart. That is Toronto Maple Leafs head coach Sheldon Keith on a game day. Game four, Leafs and Lightning tonight from Tampa Bay. Then uh, look at officiating something both sides have to get used to. Both teams, players and officials. Worry about what you can worry about and control what you can control. And, uh... Look, if the Leafs have their way and they can control things one more time tonight, they'll find themselves with a 3-1 series lead against the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Hour two underway. Taking a look uh, around the Stanley Cup playoffs with you this afternoon. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. And uh, to help us uh, take a look at a big game four for the Leafs tonight, Talking about this series as a whole, uh, very happy to bring in our pal from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. It is Brent Gunning joining us this afternoon. Brent, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Yeah, happy to do it, Logan. How's it going? I'm doing good, man. Uh, series shifts uh, to game four tonight. Uh, Keith talking about, hey, you can't really worry about the officiating. It's a tough time of year for that. I know it's been so much of a topic, not just in this series, but in series as a whole. Uh, how would you say you've looked at it this series so far for Toronto when it's come to handling the officiating and how it's happened so far in three games? I think it's kind of what I would have expected. You know, I mean, obviously we had the track record of these two teams playing in the playoffs last year. And, you know, like you said, I mean, you know, I, I'm doing shows in Toronto. We talk a ton about the officiating because it seems to come up every game, but it's far from the only series there. And, you know, it goes back to the way that this Leafs team has been built. Now it's been, it's changed a little bit over the last handful of seasons, really a lot this year, where the bottom six is a little tougher. It is a little grittier. But, I mean, you look at that Tampa Bay team. They know what they're out there to do. They want to goon it up. They want to muck the game up. And when you when you do that, you are inviting the officials. You're kind of daring them, saying, you're only going to call so many minors in a game. You're not going to have a parade to the penalty box you know, uh, on a con- on a constant basis. So I think this is part of the way Tampa's built. It's it's part of what they've done to to go to three straight Cup finals, winning a couple of them. So I I'm not too surprised at the way the officiating's gone. I mean, yeah, I have my gripes, but like you said, who watching the Stanley Cup playoffs this year doesn't? Do you think the Leafs have done a better job as a whole handling it, given that they've seen this team and seen this before from Tampa Bay? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the one guy that's always a a focus point with this is Austin Matthews. And, you know, if we go back to the bubble year, there was a clip and, you know, I don't know how much this made the rounds outside of Toronto, but Ben Sherrod is grabbing him by the the collarbone or the, uh, the, he's horse collaring him by the Jersey there. And, 
Matthews is just laughing. And his whole idea was kind of, I'm going to stay above that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go too much into the fray. And, you know, he's still not a guy who looks for it. He got dragged into that fight, kicking and screaming by Stamkos. But I think he's kind of a perfect example of this team, even if it's never going to be something that they relish, it's not something they look for. It's something they realize is kind of, part of the cost of doing business at this time of year. And then, you know, you throw in a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, a, goal, a guy like Noel Achari, and these are guys who have just played in so many of these games, these style of games where, you know, they're not looking for fights. I mean, they're both physical guys, but they're not necessarily looking for it. And then, you know, just some of the other cast of characters that have been added to Jake McCabe has been really big in that regard. And, you know, you've kind of got your, your new school enforcer in, in a guy like Luke Shen there. So I think if you just look at the, the makeup of the team, it has kind of changed. And that's just part and parcel of, of the stars of the team maturing and then a little tinkering around the edges uh, as well. Does it help your in your mind, Brent, looking for like a Marner or a Matthews, he's sort of getting dragged into it, to have a guy like Ryan O'Reilly who has walked that line before of being a superstar but never really being afraid to – to get into the fray and the kind of experience that he's had and has brought to this team? I think he's the perfect kind of guy for this group because they've had tough guys in the past. I mean, last year, Kyle Clifford took a really dumb penalty and got himself suspended, but Kyle Clifford is a tough guy. There's a reason he hasn't been in the NHL this year, and it's because he's not quite there in terms of what this team wants. But a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, he's just a completely different animal. I mean, there was one clip from earlier in the series where Maroon's trying to goad him. He's fishing his stick into O'Reilly's glove while they're both on the bench, and he just completely ignores it. But then when that scrum pops off in game three and everybody's going, O'Reilly just jumps a guy, picks a guy, and grabs somebody. And I just think that that's an element that this team hasn't had. And, yeah, the fact that he's – it's not just that he has a good story to tell. His story has a good ending. He gets to talk about lifting the Stanley Cup and kissing it and drinking out of it and all the stories that – I hope to tell about this Leafs team one day. And it's just different hearing it from a guy who's been there as opposed to, and no knock on either of these guys, but it's just so different than having a Kyle Clifford or a Wayne Simmons who's like, don't worry, I'll get him and then go sit down. Ryan O'Reilly is going to be a huge part of the game. And it's, it's somebody who's in scrums, but he doesn't have to act like a tough guy because he just has that respect across, across the league. And I'm not saying Simmons and Clifford don't, but it's just a very, very different way he's looked at. And O'Reilly is the, the kind of perfect guy for, for this team in that regard. Has there been a, a surprising standout to you in this series so far? I know we're three games in and the first two were you know, just these these massive outliers with one team scoring seven goals uh, a piece. Maybe Game Three's been the the most reminiscent of what we thought this series would be. But has there been anything that stood out to you in a surprising way three games into the series, Brent? Yeah, I think there's I think there's two guys from a from a Leafs perspective that have that have surprised me. The first has been Jake McCabe. I you know I liked what they saw when they when when they acquired him at the deadline, but I did not see him stepping up his physicality in this regard. Every single game, he has laid out somebody with a punishing, punishing hit. I mean, he was the guy who knocked one of Tampa's D, Asamont, out of the series. We, we haven't seen him yet since. His physicality has been a little surprising to me in, in that regard. And then the other one is the guy who didn't even play in game one, but it's Matthew Nines. He, he just looks so comfortable. And, you know, he's not setting the world on fire. This isn't a guy who is, you know, standing out on every single shift, but he is part of what's been a really, really responsible line with Ochar, with Achari and O'Reilly, and it's just a big. He's a big, heavy guy who does not look out of place at all in a series against Tampa. Who, if you ever thought a rookie would look out of place in a Stanley Cup series or playoff series, it'd be exactly 
a team like Tampa that could expose him and He's been such a breath of fresh air for, for this Leafs team. So I'd say McCabe for his physicality, but then just from an overall perspective, Matthew Nyes has been re- really, really nice to see for the Leafs. So much going into this series, and I guess even probably after game one, was uh, the talk of Ilya Samsonov and you know his role in all of this. And if the Leafs wanted to get out of this series, his performance would need to, to step up. Obviously, that's been the case so far uh, in games two and three, Brent. But how much of that is the storyline that you're still going to be watching for as this series unfolds? Oh, it's a, it's a massive storyline. I mean, it's a positive story coming out of game three, but he was fighting it in a huge, huge way in the first period of that game. He kind of got it back on the rails. But, you know, the thing I, I noticed in, you know, watching Samsonov every single game that he's played this year like I have is you have long stretches where you wonder how could Washington have ever not qualified this guy as an RFA? How could you not want to see him? But the one thing that you do notice about him is rebound control. And he'll leave the odd juicy one sitting there, and that has come back to bite him a couple of times. And I think with Samsonov, he's a lot like other good goalies in this league where you will have a stretch, you will have a run where you just think so highly, so positively of this guy, but there will be little blips. And, you know, uh, the good thing for him is it was just a period in game three and he's able to get it back on the rails. But there have been stretches where he doesn't look like that guy. So I think the high end of Samsonov is more than good enough to help this team win a series. Who knows? Maybe win a couple. Obviously, we know what's lurking if they get past this. But, uh, you know, I think that it's been it's been really positive to see. But there have been the the underlying worrying moments there with Samsonov that make you understand why he was available and, and Washington didn't uh, qualify him. So now the big problem for Sheldon Keefe, if you want to call it a problem, is is what to do with his first line that's been so dominant. Uh, we know Kelly Arncroke well here in Calgary from his short time, mm-hmm. but uh, it's worked out well with Matthews and Marner. And uh, as Sheldon Keefe himself said, the rest of the line's not really going so strong. So I guess where do you lean on this conversation, Brent? Are you willing to work out a situation where you, you split up that first line to try to help bring the other three up? Or is it just a case of, that line's going too well for me. The other three are just going to have to figure it out. Well, I look at it. I look at the way the series has played out, and you know, each team can look at one of the first two games and say, "Well, nothing to take out of that. Let's just throw that in the garbage." And then I look at the third game there, and that was a pretty, uh, you know, competitive hockey game scoreline wise. But the Leafs played terrible, quite quite honestly. So I think if you're concerned about the offense, you have to do what you always do, and that's split up Matthews and Marner. That is always the thing that 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 seems to be the first thing to go to, and it makes sense. They're the two most dynamic offensive players on the team. The other thing I'll say about this is that they did try late in the game to bump Matthew Nyes into the top six. Now, I don't want to think he's going to be the difference maker. If that second line's going to go, it's going to be because of Tavares and Nylander, or at least it should be, not because of whoever the third guy is on that line. But I think that will be the next thing you'll see, as opposed to just right away breaking up that top line of Yarncroke, Matthews, and Marner is try Matthew Nyes up there with Tavares and Nylander. And then the other thing as well is, and you know, we all get so bogged down on the idea of what are the lines? Okay, first line, second line, third line. Keith loves to do this. A lot of coaches do. You'll see Ryan O'Reilly popped up there for an offensive zone draw, or if it's after a TV timeout and everyone's got fresh legs, you'll see him up there in the top six, and maybe you load it up with O'Reilly, Tavares, and Nylander. Uh, so I think you, you start with putting Matthew Nyes there. 
uh, and seeing how that works. And then that let, lets you keep things with the top line. But if all else fails, uh, you flip Nylander and Marner because that's that's generally what this team does when they need to switch in the top six is, is flip those two and, and see if Matthews can stay going with a guy like Nylander. And they've been great for long stretches this year. And then Marner and Tavares all, always seem to click. So I think I think first you try Nyes there, but then if, if that fails, you will see Matthews and Marner split up. You mentioned the strong play of Jake McCabe early on in this series, and it's interesting, Brent, because as we got ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs and the stretch into the last couple of weeks there, all the talk, even when the Leafs came through here in Toronto, was, okay, what does that top six look like when you get to the postseason? Because Sheldon Keefe has so many options right now. Luke Shen's been the guy right now, and it makes a lot of sense. His game really does play well into the playoffs, and I think it plays well against Tampa Bay. Uh, but I'm curious how the how the decors held up in your mind, and I guess who's next in line if the Leafs do need to make a change uh, on that decor, knowing that they have so many options. Yeah, Timothy Lilligren is is the next man up. He he has really been an unfortunate casualty of an awesome Leaf season here. He is the one guy who everybody else seems to have been put in a better spot by all of the moves that were made at the deadline. You know, David Camp is a guy who got bumped down to the fourth line from the third line, but you're getting a better version of him. The bottom six is clicking really well. But Lilligram was a guy who him and Mark Giordano had a nice partnership. He was a guy who played with Rasmus Sandin a lot. Uh, and obviously Sandin got moved, and he's just never really found a home since all those trades got made. So that's not a knock on the player. He just hasn't really clicked. Him and Riley aren't a great pair. Uh, and Giordano and Hall are usually paired up together, and Giordano has been the guy who typically Lilligren has gone with. So Lilligren is the next man up there. And then in terms of how the decor is shaken out, you, you look at it, and Luke Shem would seem like he'd be the next guy to come out, but him and Morgan Riley have worked really well. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic here in that Riley is the highest-paid least defenseman. But generally speaking, he is better served in the playoffs when you have somebody else doing the shutdown defending, and you can just kind of let Mo freelance. And you've seen that in these playoffs. I mean, he had the OT winner. He had a four-assist game in, in the route they had in, in game two. Uh, so I don't foresee any changes on the blue line. I think it has to be an injury. The one guy to watch, and I, I just think it'd be tough for this team to do it with, is Mark Giordano. He has struggled uh, a little bit there. Uh, the thing is, with him being on the left side, Lilligren being a right-handed option, that would really kind of throw a, a wrench into things because you might have to split up McCabe and Brody, which you really wouldn't want to do. So I don't think they'll be making any changes to the blue line unless they have to uh, because of injury. Uh, but Lilligren is for sure the next guy up. And honestly, Shen has been a really, really nice piece in this Tampa series. Uh, the fact that Tampa doesn't have a ton, a ton of high-end speed really, really helps him. It's a, it's a really good matchup for him as well. Any clue who those uh, game time decisions might be for the Leafs tonight that Keith was talking about? No, he's been super cryptic about this. He even said there might be changes. There might be changes coming out of it when they routed Tampa in the seven-two win in in Game Two. Uh, this is all gamesmanship, right? You saw it exactly what happened with the Lightning with Hedman. I was doing the the pregame there uh, before Hedman came out for warm-ups in game three and I was wondering if we were going to see him even with him doing regular warm-ups or if it was just kind of gamesmanship there I, I think you have to look at a guy like Luke Shen he's taken a lot of physicality in this series if somebody's banged up there mm -hmm. I mean Morgan Riley took up some nasty nasty shots in in that scrum uh, you would hate it for for it to be him if it's somebody like that but I mean that's the thing about this time of year is that you know, guys are always dealing with bumps and bruises. And uh, the, the other underlying thing that I think uh, we haven't had to worry too much about here in Toronto, but it's always something to worry about is 
Austin Matthews has a tendency to miss 10, 15 games a season. And uh, he did that this year, but it was more of a selective, let's shut it down thing. Uh, you'd hate for him to have one of his injuries kind of kind of flare up at this time. Obviously, that'd be a killer for the Leafs. And I want to be clear, we haven't heard anything about that in that mm-hmm. regard. But just just uh, baseless speculation here, because that's all we've got to go on. Uh, keep, keep, Keith is keeping it super close to the vest, as everybody does. Yeah. Yeah. Brent Gunning along with us from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, talking all things Leafs and Lightning had a game four tonight in Tampa Bay. Uh, let's talk about the the Lightning, a, a team that you guys know well in Toronto, obviously from the last couple of years, but uh, anything different about this year's version of the Tampa Bay Lightning, or is it more of the same from this group under John Cooper? They somehow got more annoying. I didn't. I didn't think that was. I didn't think that was possible. Corey Perry's face is somehow more punchable. One year older. Who? Who? Who knew? Honestly, there's nothing different about this team. Kucherov is still terrifying. There is. There is not a guy in the league that you know. We give Brad Marchand all the credit for being the most skilled rat there is, and yeah, and maybe he's more annoying than Kucherov. But there's not a better dirty player in this league. And I mean, that as a compliment. I can't believe I do, but, but I do uh, it, there, you know, Vasilevsky, he's looked a little more gettable, but I don't even want to say that because that feels like jinxing it because this is exactly what we saw through four games of the series last year of uh, this the year you can get Vasilevsky and he just turned it on like a switch. So I'd love to sit here and tell you it's a, it's a more, it's a, you know, it's a more complete team or there's a different, you know, uh, angle that they have a guy like Tanner Juneau is just kind of more the same you know and another kind of big body heavy guy haven't noticed him a ton but again it's just he fits really well to the mold you know I'll, I'll throw this at you it's one thing I was thinking about and it's not so much what the team is different about but it's just the back half of the career that Corey Perry has had you know he is a he's a heart trophy winner 50 goal guy one cup that's always going to be part of his legacy but it really feels to me like he kind of stamped home his legacy with this second half of his or back half of his career, whatever you want to call it. He was always a great player. He always had the heart to look back on in the 50 goal season, but he was not one of these truly transcendent superstar guys that we think about, you know, him and Getzlaff kind of in a very similar mold. They are very nice players for their time. will go to the hall of fame, but then we'll maybe kind of never think about them again. And Corey Perry, just having this rat filled back half of his career, it is just cemented his legacy. And I, I can't believe I have that many positive things to say about him because watching him play hockey every game in the series is so annoying. Hey, as a, uh, a proud card member of the uh, Corey Perry hate club, I, I'm totally there with you. Uh, but yeah, really ever since, ever since he went to Dallas, it's been that yep. uh, it's been that way for him. And I have to give you credit. So it's a really good point, Brent, because I think it's one of those ones where you could look at Corey Perry and say, yeah, you know, he's got a pretty good Hall of Fame resume if it just ended off where it did with the Ducks. But then you go with this Dallas one, the Montreal, going to Tampa Bay and doing what he's done the last couple of years now. You're like, yeah, it's it's a home run. It's a slam dunk. The guy's reinvented himself. But like you said, still managed to be effective playing 10, 12 minutes tonight. It's almost like he went from being a Hall of Famer to feeling like one, which is kind of a weird thing to say about a guy who has all the accolades he has. Yeah, exactly. And uh, clearly still got something in the tank and uh, clearly going to be a force if this series continues. A couple more for you before I let you go here, Brent. How big is tonight's game as far as a swing game goes in this series? And I know, look, even if it's 2-2, even if it's 3-1, the series can go either way. I, I know that, but it just feels like this is as opportune a time as it has been for the Leafs to go into Tampa Bay, take this back to Toronto and feel like they're in a really good spot to finally get over this, this lightning hurdle that they've been in front of. 
Yeah, I'd love to tell you that I agree with you, but th- if this team goes up 3-1, they will be in the exact same position they were against the carcass of the Montreal Canadiens that somehow drags that carcass all the way to the Stanley Cup final. This team has had so many could-have-been-there moments. Morgan Riley once scored a goal in a game six to put them up at home, and they couldn't come through. Austin Matthews missed a post by inches in game six last year in overtime. They had their chances in game seven at home. They've just, they've been there so many times. I really don't know how big a difference it makes. I, I can, I can talk myself into both sides of it. Obviously you want to win the game. You want to go up three, one, but I think that the series just kind of continuing and them not having the pressure of coming home and they can close it. And here it is. It's all in front of them. I don't know that that's the end of the world of them just, okay, they're right in a battle with this, uh, this tight lightning team. So this team has just had so many chances. They've, they've forced their way back in a series. They shouldn't have been in. They have kept series going that they should have finished long ago. That even if they're up three, one, they could be up four, one in the series and it's supposed to be over. And I think there'll still be people here waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I totally know what you mean, but man, until they do it, it's just, it's not going to feel like they're any closer. And uh, last but not least, as we get closer to a return for, for Michael Bunting, good problem to have uh, for Sheldon Keefe to try to reintegrate him back into the lineup? Awesome problem to have. If they're up 3-1, it's a really, really tough decision to make because if they're up 3-1, Sam Lafferty and Zach Aston-Reese, who are the bubble guys for him, are probably looking really good because you're going to need everybody pulling on the rope. That's an awesome problem to have. And if they're tied up 2-2, it's pretty easy to say, okay, this guy's been in our top six all year. Was it dumb? Yes. Has Aston Reese and Lafferty had good moments? Yes, but let's not overthink this. So I actually think it's kind of a perfect scenario for Keith that, again, if they're up 3-1, you can say, okay, we're going to go with the horses that brought us here. And then if you lose, insert them in for – two more cracks at it and if you're if you're tied up you can say okay perfect we're putting them back in so awesome problem to have for uh for bunting in the Leafs. brent appreciate the time i know it's always busy on a game day but uh thanks for joining us today have a great show tonight enjoy the game and we'll chat with you again soon hey eh? yeah anytime happy to do it thanks, take care man. thanks pal uh brent gunning sportsnet 590 the fan in toronto joining us down the alice pizza and sports bar guest hotline leafs and lightning of course, you can watch it on the Sportsnet television network, but we'll also have it right here for you on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Can the Leafs put the lightning on the brink of elimination with a win tonight? Uh, Sheldon Keefe says that they have a number of game-time decisions. A couple of guys banged up, but we'll have to wait until closer to that 5.30 puck draft to find out uh, any lineup news ahead of that matchup. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We suddenly have lots to talk about uh, in the last segment of the show. We have a Potential Flames re-signing uh, on the horizon. We've been blessed with talking points. Yes, all of a sudden, you know, these things jump out at us. Oh, and a uh, a massive trade in the NFL uh, is finally complete. We'll tell you who's going where next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We have Flames news. It's amazing. Yay. What a day. What a day. Happy Monday. Flames news. Flames is not, in the offseason. Not, not that news, though. I know what news you want to hear about. This is the news I want to hear. Well, yeah, you, because you fall into a very special category. The very, the very specific fan club. Fan category. club that nobody else is a part of. No, I think I there are other people in it. It's not just, the only one. Cam won't let us in. He's oh, just the, uh, I'm not the president of it. 
I know you want I know you want that Flames news or the other Flames. I get it. With the GM or the other things, I get it. You want all that. I don't have that. But our own Pat Steinberg, you might have heard of him. Kind of a big deal. Host of Flames Talk. The guy for Flames News here in the city of Calgary. Number one goaltender breaking news. Yeah, he's everything. He's McLovin. He's everything. Even speaks a bit of French if you haven't heard. He's got the news of the day. And while not yet confirmed by the team, uh, Pat tweeting out about 35 minutes ago. Sounds like Calgary and pending RFA. Walker Dewar are closing in on a contract extension. One of the real positives from this season, seven goals, 11 points in 27 NHL games. Walker currently with the Calgary Wranglers gearing up for a postseason run with Calgary. So not official yet from the Calgary Flames, but let's be honest, the next level from being like official from the Flames is hearing it from Pat. So pretty much there. We'll expect an announcement sooner than later. But uh, how do we feel? Walker Dewar, after a great uh, 27-game sample with the Flames, I would say. I mean, Cam, you must be excited. You have a Walker Dewar sign up here in the studio simply for your own uh, pleasure. Got a little art up here. It's your favorite uh, piece of art. You must be excited about this news. I am. I think, you know, he came up with the Wranglers this year, and it's just... He's never given you a reason to not like him on the team. He he makes the right plays. He, he's in the right place at the right time, and he, he he just doesn't play himself off the ice. That's all you can really ask for. Taylor? He has added so much to this team, and not only play-wise, but also energy-wise. And while he was on the ice, he kind of just made things happen. And I think that he's very deserving of a contract. I do too. Um, look, the Flames have had, and I've talked about this before, some really interesting pieces on the fourth line over the last couple of years that have gone different directions and have gone a different. And I get it. It's you know, the fourth line isn't always one that comes with long term stability. But I, I think that it's fair to say there's a couple of guys that you look out there and you go. I wouldn't mind if they stayed in Calgary because they, they had that thing. And a couple of them are playing in a series against each other right now. And that's, it's Garnet Hathaway. It's Ryan Lomberg. Those are two guys that I look at and I say, you know, and, and I look, Hathaway got a long, a longer extension with Washington in free agency. Like he was given a couple years uh, there. That's why I say it's, it's not always a long-term project when you're a fourth liner um, to get that kind of deal. So fair enough. Calgary might not have been willing to, to offer up the kind of years, but even look at, you know, a guy like Derek Ryan. I think that sometimes changing the mentality of what your fourth line is, it doesn't have to be a big hulking physical fourth line. Yes. I think that that's an important thing for them to do, but checking, creating offensive zone pressure, being reliable for potentially more than 10 minutes a night. I think these are things that you can uh, absolutely rely on. And I like the idea of, my fourth line, if I was a coach or if I was running a team, I like the idea of my fourth line guys pushing the other three lines. I don't want that to be a stagnant position. So if that means that Walker Dewar is is on the fourth line, I know Walker's going to go out 
and give it 110% every night because that's just the kind of guy he is. And I hope that the guy on the third line or the second line looks at that and goes, man, I better match that because if I don't, this kid is going to ride my ass. He's going to ride me out of the lineup, right? Like, isn't that what the fourth line should be for your hockey team? It shouldn't just be a, okay, we know what four guys we're penciling in night after night. We might change it. We might change a guy over to the wing or move it around. I would think that the fourth line, when you have guys like Walker Dewar, who are like that, who are, you know, tenacious on the puck, you know, really excited for the opportunity. I think you can use that as a positive to push other people in your lineup. At least that's what I would hope you could do. Absolutely. Like that's, to me, that's what Walker Dewar could be for this team. And I'm excited to see what it's like. I I would wonder if it's a multi-year extension for him. Um, Like I said, doesn't have a large NHL sample size. He had one game uh, in the year previous to this year. So just 27 games. He's got 11 points, four penalty minutes, um, 47 shots on goal. You know, it's not a big sample size, but I think you've seen enough from Walker Dewar to sit there and go, yeah, I absolutely think that you're a part of the organization. I think he's going to be one of the guys that goes into training camp looking for a spot on the fourth line. And I think given how much we know about this team's salary cap going forward, would it not be important to have a guy like Walker Dewar on a decent salary for your team? Uh, you know, like I don't think he's going to break the bank with 27 NHL games, but to have a potential NHL ready piece come in at, at probably under a million dollars a year, I think that's good business. And that would also be, you know, interestingly enough, guys, the first piece of business done uh, by Don Maloney, who is the interim GM of this team right now. You don't think he he garners a million? You don't you think he's under a million bucks? I would guess that, yes. That's just that's my guess. Around maybe like not over but I think like 925 or 900, I think that's probably the number cuz I've heard a number of opinions being thrown around the number, you know, right around that million dollar mark, maybe a little bit more per year, around 2 years maybe. I guess it depends on length of contract. I mean, he's just He's just been in 27 games. He's yeah. a baby. Right? He's still, he's 25 years old. So he's not, he's not young, young by NHL standards, but he's, you know, still on the younger side of things. Not quite on the deathbed. Not quite. A, no, he's not know. 30. So he's not dying by any means. Right? Like the rest <laughs> of us. Apologize right? every 30 year old listening. He's a baby compared to Trevor Lewis. He's great. Um, yeah, that that would be my guess. Could it could it be more than a million? I I guess, but given how tight to the salary cap this team is, and going forward, I like really if it was two years, say nine hundred twenty five thousand per. I like that. I, I think you, that's a raise for Walker Dewar. I think that's a you know let's be honest, it's an undrafted guy too. There's no guarantee he was getting a. Uh, another NHL contract, right? So I, right. I I think the sample size keeps him under that, but but who knows? Maybe we're talking about something um, more significant when it comes to the Flames and Walker Dewar. So we'll keep our eyes peeled for the latest. Yeah, uh, we'll expect that. You know, whenever, uh, probably not far off, but uh, yeah, Pat with the latest on that one uh, for the Calgary Flames news today that Walker Dewar and the team closing in on a contract extension. Uh, we also have a trade in the NFL to talk about. Uh, before we uh, we move on this hour, 
Uh, it's a trade that we've been waiting on forever, uh, but it's finally done. <clears throat> Excuse me, Aaron Rodgers' uh, trade to the New York Jets is official. We've talked about this for weeks. What a haul, though. It's a, it's a big trade for sure. Uh, Adam Schefter, the guy from ESPN, uh, with the details. So look at this. They're going to swip. Uh, swip. Swap would be the word you're looking for. I believe swap is the correct word. Yeah, 2023. I don't think swip it's, is a word. It's a Monday. We're... Do you swip? No, I think I don't swap. Think, I don't even think you swap. swip. No, we don't swip anything here. We swap, like first round picks. Uh, so the Jets will swap their first round pick with the Green Bay Packers. Packers will move up to 13. Jets down to 15. Packers also get a second round pick, a sixth round pick, and a conditional 2024 second round pick that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the plays this year for the New York Jets. So that's a massive haul because that's essentially that's a lot. you're moving up two slots in the draft. So you're you're you know keeping your first but moving up. You get a second this year, which is 42nd overall. So it's a higher second round pick. The sixth is is what it is. I mean, and a second that I would say, unless Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, is pretty much guaranteed to be a first. Like, I mean, if, if everything goes right. There's no reason that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't be in on 65% of offensive plays for the New York Jets this year. Like that's a that's almost a home run slam dunk conditional pick. It's going to happen. So, a first, a second, and a sixth plus moving up two spots in the draft for Aaron Rodgers. When you were the only team seemingly in on him at the end. It's a massive trade for the New York Jets, who once again are going out and, you know, uh, foregoing the draft process with teams and and players to go and get their quarterback. They once again go to the, you know, the scraps, if you will, of the Green Bay Packers to pick up their next quarterback. Um, It's a massive trade. I wonder what it means for Zach Wilson going forward. Is this a one-year thing for Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to go year by year with the Jets? I mean, if you give up that much, I, I think the Jets have got to be hoping this is a two- to three-year thing with Rodgers. I can't imagine you'd want to give up a first, a second, and move up two spots and then give up two spots in the draft order for Rodgers to only play a year. Like, that would be a, a massive uh, trade for a one-year project if you're the Jets. But at the same time, who really knows? It seems like Aaron Rodgers goes into his confinement mode every offseason. And you'll remember this year it was the uh, the darkness retreat, I believe, for yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that was something. That was something, right, where he uh, he went and found himself and Listen to his Sometimes bod. life gets hard and you just I'm not need blaming to take him. I'm not break. blaming him. You do your own thing. I get it. I'm not I'm not judging the guy. I'm just saying that's that's what he did. And came out the other side and realized he he still wanted to play football and that's that's great, I I guess. Four days of pitch black 
No TV, no lights, no distractions, just sitting in a cabin for four days. Yeah, good for him. And after that, he said, yeah, I want to play for New York. Yeah, football. The Jets, sure. The okay, Jets, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not blaming the guy. I, I got to be <laughs> honest, spending like four days in a cabin in the middle of the woods, kind of, first of all, sounds a little sketchy, but also sounds like an absolute nightmare. Sounds like a great business plan. Hey, right? uh, just, here's the darkness. Just You want to be like Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, just black out a, a cabin. Make sure there's no light getting in. And you can sell it as a, a retreat. It's your Airbnb. Right? Yeah. Well, you don't really, I mean, you got to... All I, natural. I guess you got to kind of... Probably the safety-proof the place a bit. So no one's walking in the doors or anything. But, I mean... Sounds like a sweet deal. Like, how much do you think Aaron Rodgers paid for a darkness retreat? You say doors plural. I think it's just a single door. You think it's just do a room? Know, do we I know what so. this cabin looks like? Is it one no of those idea. like really old, sketchy log cabins that have the singular door that know. creaks open? So I have, open like I have some movie? pictures, and I'll try to describe it to you. It's, it's dark. a very small door it's with dark. a heater, you can't see anything. a bed. A bath and a seat and a little candle. It would be and that's it. It would be better if it was somewhere that is nice, you know, like a Banff up in the mountains and you actually have things to do outside of the cabin. But if it's just in the middle of nowhere where it's just this cabin and you're sitting in it for four days. But that's the point. That's the the point isn't to go out hiking. The point is to to be alone center. with your thoughts. Can you not be alone with your thoughts? On a hike, I, you might run into a bear. I guess. See some cool woodland creatures. Yeah, but that's not what. Uh, that's not how Aaron Rodgers centers himself, Taylor. That's how he should center he himself. Be, that sounds like a good time. Be like locked in a room or something. Maybe some. Maybe he pays somebody to take away his phone and his personal belongings, and it's like in seventy-two hours you can come back. I'll, until then, I'll take that job for like a million dollars that's why he said it's got to be a profitable business the guy running that cabin's got the greatest scam of all time he's have to run power to the place i guess maybe for a heater if so new Sportsnet no lights today, no, TV, business plan? no wi-fi easy money new Sportsnet today business plan if anybody wants to go spend uh four days in a remote cabin with nothing and have the aaron Rodgers experience let us know we'll set that up uh, Aaron Rodgers also will be changing numbers. Uh, Joe Namath, for you kids out there, uh, famously wore the number 12 for the New York Jets. He did give Aaron Rodgers permission to wear it. Rodgers politely declined. Said, no, that's your, that's your number, Joe. I'm going to start fresh. This is what they told me to do in the darkness retreat. Start fresh. You're going to go with number eight. So you can sell lots of uh, New York Jets jerseys with the number eight on them. I like it. It seems like a good number. It's one of those good numbers, you know? What's a bad number? Like a lot of, a lot of odd numbers, like, I don't know, 60, 63. The quarterback wouldn't wear 63. Or like an 80, 82. It's, not a, it's an ugly number. 
Yeah, that's a receiver number. Though. Eight's a good number. Cam is just becoming now a number a numbers discriminator. Guy. Apparently, Cam's fine with it because he likes the number eight. That's a good number. Okay. Nine's good. Nine's all right, yeah. What about seven? I think seven's good. Your single numbers are always going to be winners. Six is a bit low, but... What about like 11? 11's good. You got some great number 11s. I just like how you're sort of just... Jamal like, Crawford, Michael Backlund. You got some great number 11s. Okay. Boba Travis Konechny. True. <laughs> I'm just labeling out number 11s now. Just, just throw it all of them. All the number 11s. Brendan Gallagher. Okay, that's enough. And 6960, your favorite number 11. No, that's enough. I'm kidding. That's enough out of you, too. Um, So, yeah, that's the news this afternoon. Uh, Doer extension incoming per Pat Steinberg. That's good news. And the Aaron Rodgers trade finally, finally official. He is heading to the New York Jets in exchange they will swap first-round picks. So Packers move up to 13, Jets to 15. They get a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick this year and a conditional 2024 pick, a second-rounder that becomes a first if Rodgers plays 65% of the offensive plays for the New York Jets. So uh, two big pieces of news there. Again, Walker Dewar. Not made official by the team, but uh, Pat Steinberg tweeting out that they are closing in on an extension. 27 games played for the Flames this year. Seven goals, four assists for 11 points, 11 penalty minutes, and now uh, off to join the Calgary Wranglers. And like we talked about earlier, uh, my wonderful producers, Cam and Taylor, the Calgary Wranglers are in action this week for their uh, post. You can go see, Walker. First ever Wranglers playoff game. Buy a ticket. It's pretty cheap. You want to go see Walker Dewar do his thing in the uh, in the AHL? There's your chance. Go see Dustin Wolf. Yeah, he's good. What's AHL MVP, goalie of the year. What's he done? Again? What has he done this playoff series? What hasn't he done? Really? Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't done, played a game. <laughs> he hasn't, hasn't done I anything mean, this year in these in playoffs. General. It was just good enough to get him a bye. So, yeah, Wednesday Could've and. Been better. And again, for a couple of people asking about this, um, the playoff format for the American Hockey League is much different. The second round series, this is a best of five. Calgary chose the way that the schedule works for this best of five. So I know that there's some people like, okay, well, why does uh, game five go to Abbotsford? That's just the way that the, the Wranglers have scheduled it. Uh, so Wednesday, Friday in Calgary at the Scotiabank Saladome, both of those seven o'clock puck drops. Games three, four, and five, four and five if needed, will be in Abbotsford. So, yes, potentially giving up uh, home ice advantage for an elimination game in game five, but uh, they'll start at home for these next two games to start the series. And as we mentioned, uh, CalgaryWranglers.com for tickets. I've already started looking, and the tickets are going really fast. So that's great news because we're trying to pack out the dome for these Wranglers games. We're not going to have any other playoff hockey here in Calgary. The Hitman got done. Flames obviously not heading to the postseason. I was surprised how many tickets were already gone. So if you're thinking about it, trying to make plans for Wednesday or for Friday, don't hesitate. Go and get your tickets now. They'll be even harder to come by 
when the team heads to round three after they get past Abbotsford. So make sure you get your tickets now. You're not going to want to miss it. Phillips is still there. You're going to go see our boy. Uh, we just talked about Walker Dewar, Dustin Wolf, Jacob Pelche. The whole crew is going to be there. You're going to want to see it. It's been a great season for them. Uh, let's really pack out the dome for those first two playoff games of the Calgary Wranglers. Taylor, have you uh, finished getting tickets yet? I haven't. I'm trying I'm, to. I have some work things that I have to do first, but I will get right on those. You should. Got to get a head count of who's going. You should. Those tickets are going fast. I know Cam will be there. Cam, you got to get a Wranglers jersey now. I do. You got your first Flames jersey this year. That's true. And now I need a a good looking Wranglers jersey. You got to go the white or a red? Got to go red. Ooh. Got to go red. Just see a red. How can you wear anything else? Well, the Seal Red's kind of a Flames thing. I don't know if it still applies to the Wranglers. Calgary thing, no? Fair enough. You going to get a name on that jersey? I don't know. Maybe I'm saving it, you know, trying to see if any players get some big call-ups. Ooh. We'll see. You're going to abandon your boy Walker Dewar? And I was going to say, I thought, Walker, I thought I was setting him up for the easiest slam dunk of all time. That a no. Walker Dewar jersey was coming. If I'm going to get a Walker no. Dewar jersey, it's going to be in a Flames jersey. Let's be honest here. Wow. Interesting. Maybe Walker Dewar will listen to this and send you one. There we go. Walker, if you're listening, what's up? Oh, Games are open. I think Walker's got better things to do. I don't know. It's all right. I, I would appreciate this it is, if he was. This is a great show. I, I don't know why you would be pre- listening to it. I appreciate it, but I'm just saying if he's got, you know, workouts or other things to worry about, I'm not going to hold it against maybe, him. Maybe he's listening to it while he's working out. You know, I, multitasking. I, I'd appreciate that. We sure would. But, uh, yes, Walker Dewar and the uh, Calgary Wranglers in action Wednesday and Friday as their uh, second-round series against the Abbotsford Canucks kicks off. And uh, Walker Dewar sounds as though he will have a nice new extension uh, from the Calgary Flames in hand by the time that uh, game starts on Wednesday. Uh, Still no word yet as to what the the details of that deal look like. Uh, But our boy Pat Steinberg reporting that they are close to uh, announcing uh, an extension for Walker Dewar after 27 games up with the Calgary Flames this season. Uh, that's going to do it for us. We're going to get out of here. You can catch that wherever you get your podcast: Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite podcatchers. Uh, and for today, thank you to Reed Wilkins and uh, Brent Gunning, uh, Oilers and Leafs chat on the program today. Head of a big game four for the Leafs and Lightning, which you'll hear tonight. And then, of course, the Oilers and the Kings going to game five tomorrow back in Edmonton. Uh, Shout out to my outstanding producers for all their help today. Really appreciate it. Uh, We will be back tomorrow on a Tuesday edition uh, of Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.